It's Tennessee Titans talk, AFC Championship Week. I live in Davidson County proper. Landon lives in Sumner County. John lives in Williamson County. So we, we sort of got uh, everything covered. Guys, what's the buzz this week where you are? I mean, what's the feel? This is huge. Four teams left in the NFL. We're one of them. First time in 17 years. John, how's it down there? Oh, it's pretty wild. I mean, I, I work in Franklin, and, you know, everybody in the office is buzzing around, wearing their two-tone blue. Everybody's talking about it, and obviously everybody knowing my association with the team, everybody's got a question for me. Everybody wants to know what I think about the game, and I couldn't be more excited. I will literally – I hope my boss isn't listening, but I will literally put all my work on hold to talk about the Titans. So there is more excitement right now about this team than I think there ever has been. We'll talk about this a little bit too, but how crazy is it to think that this might be the last podcast we do before we know we're going to the Super Bowl? I just realized today, it's like, wow, we're 60 minutes, 60 good minutes from a Super Bowl. Landon, in your neck of the woods, is that trickled down to like just the average person that you that you know? Oh, absolutely, because at my school, I'm seeing so many more Times jerseys than I saw all year, even on days when it's wear a jersey to school day. I've never seen as many Titans jerseys. I see all the ones, Mariota, Henry, Bayard, so many Derrick Henry jerseys. And I just see so many people posting on their social media, especially during the Ravens game, go Titans is, oh, Derrick Henry's so amazing. And it's just, for for so long, the Titans were kind of whatever, and people kind of fell off the bandwagon, the casual fan fell off. And now we're in the final four, and everyone's hopping back on. And I don't care if they hadn't stuck through the tough times like we did. I'll take anyone we can get. I'll take all the fans we can get, all the momentum we can get. Yeah, I personally don't like it when real fans like us are obnoxious about people that get excited about it. Hey, you know, whatever. It's not a contest. I'm glad that people are excited about this team. I have never been more excited about a sports team in my life, except maybe when I was a kid and the Braves made the World Series. This line is seven and a half. It's moved a little bit. How do you feel about Vegas's? I think seven and a half is fair because, I mean, we've always talked. You usually take three points off. For the home team, that means that they're four-and-a-half-point favorites. I think that's completely fair. Obviously, disagree with the line in the sense that we're going to win, and hopefully by way more than four-and-a-half. But I think it's fair. I mean, with the way Kansas City can score points and with the way that we can score points, honestly, I think it's 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 really going to be a tough, a tough battle. And usually Vegas isn't wrong all that often. Landon, if you worked for... MGM or one of the big gambling houses in Vegas, where would you set this game? I, I agree with John. I think Vegas got it right this time because 7.5 is essentially saying, is it a one-possession game or not? Is Kansas City that much of a better team that comes down to two possessions? Or are the tie-ins better than some of the perception around them is compared to how the betting lines have been so against us and they keep it at one possession? That's really what they're saying. Is this going to be a tight-knit game to the very end? Or is Kansas City the better team and they'll play like they did against Houston and they'll kind of control the game and be comfortably going to the Super Bowl? And both those things, I feel like, are just as true. They're both equally likely. Kansas City is really good. They've got the best offense left of the Final Four, probably by a good, decent margin. They can score at any time, anywhere, two seconds of game time. They can easily outscore us and we'll be down two possessions and we'll struggle. But at the same time, we're so resilient. Our defense is better. Our run game... We've got the best running back left in the playoffs, and there's no one even close to him. I can certainly see us keeping it competitive down the stretch. I think we have 
as much of a chance to win this game as they do. The problem is if we make a lot of mistakes, which we obviously haven't done in this playoffs, then we don't have the ability to make as many mistakes as they do. We don't score a lot of points, but we have controlled both of these games. And you can see where, where their weaknesses are. We could do the exact same things. And just like coming into last week, it's like, well, how are we going to stop the juggernaut that is Lamar Jackson? Well, they have a juggernaut, too, in this passing game. We found a way to beat this team earlier. This team, the Kansas City Chiefs, have not lost since we beat them. What did y'all learn from that wild Houston-Kansas City divisional game last Sunday? Well, it's obvious that the Chiefs have the heart of a champion. They're resilient. They're tough. They're not scared. It comes down to experience. Obviously, last year, they went all the way to the AFC Championship game. They, al- they almost beat Brady before D4 was offsides. They lost in overtime without getting the ball. They came right to the edge of the ultimate goal, and they fell short. They're hungry. They know what it takes. And Andy Reid, he's been coaching for so long. He Andy Reid knows everything that's going to happen. He's been there. He's coached in literally every situation possible. And we saw that when the Ravens got down two, three possessions, Lamar Jackson got a little sunken. He, got, he wasn't as fired up, as confident, as full of swagger. When Mahomes was down 24-0, he was talking to his guys on the sideline, pumping them up, firing them up, telling them, hey, we're going to get back. We're better than this. We're going to come back. We're going to beat the brakes off them. That's what they did. He, he was the first quarterback since Doug Williams in the Super Bowl to have four touchdown passes in a quarter. In 10 minutes, they went from down 24 to up 28. By the end of the third, they were up through possessions. They're tough. They're confident. And as they should be, they're as talented as they come. I think like Landon said, heart of a champion, I mean, these guys aren't afraid of anybody. The big underlying theme that I take away from that game is regardless how many points they're down, they can score. They're never out of reach. They they were about to go, in, like we were all watching, saying, oh, well, we better get our tickets to Houston. We're going to go to Houston when it was 24 nothing, And then literally you blinked, It was like Landon said, it was 28-24, and then they didn't look back. The, the Texans scored again, but yeah, then the Chiefs just laid on the gas and ended up scoring 51 points. Arrowhead Stadium ran out of fireworks for touchdown celebrations. So, I mean... <laughs> I didn't know that. That's oh, awesome. yeah. They they even posted something on the screen saying, hey, we ran out of fireworks. I'm sure they're going to have their fireworks this week. But, you know, we just can't... You know, we cannot allow ourselves to get out of the game. Like you said earlier, we can't allow this team to score a kajillion points. We can't make mistakes. There's a, There was a very big difference between Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes when their teams were down. We saw Lamar Jackson kind of secluded over on the bench, not wanting anybody to talk to him. Bit. Yeah, yeah. He, he got definitely. tight. He put too much pressure on himself. He tried to do too much. And Patrick Mahomes was essentially a cheerleader out there. Definitely two different types of leadership, 100% firepower. And the thing that makes me nervous is all their fast guys. They really have a ton of them. When you look at Tyree Kill to Sammy Watkins to Nicole Hardeman, all of them, they can all run. In the last game, when we beat them there on the end, uh, just incredible game. I get a feel, just myself and, and kind of nationally, that, that that game is not as relevant. A lot of things happen in a couple months. Tyree Kill had 11 catches in that game, but he did not have any just overwhelming, huge take-it-to-the-house gains. Travis Kelsey was pretty quiet in that game. Now, we haven't played particularly well against tight ends. We play more man than we did uh, then because of injury. Landon, if you're on DMP's coaching staff this week, what do you think you'd be hearing from them about what their major objective is? Obviously, they've had a great game plan, and they have systematically kind of 
uh, all been on the same page, coaches and players. What do you think the big focal point from uh, from the offensive weapons standpoint for the Chiefs are? What are they going to try to take away? The absolute deep ball, the thing that makes you really fear Patrick Mahomes' amazing arm, where you have to play so far back, it opens up underneath, it opens up everything else. And it's really just pick your poison, you get gashed, and you can't do anything about it. We saw with the Patriots last year, and even with Houston when they were up big early on, they played their fastest corner on Tyree Kill, and they shade a safety over specifically for over-the-top coverage. So the corner handles underneath stuff, the safety covers the over-the-top, and it's pretty much they're doubling Tyree Kill no matter what, because he's the fastest man in the world right now. You can't really stop him unless you have two guys, and you're really just trusting Sammy Watkins, Nicole Harmon, a rookie, and Demarcus Robinson, who's a fourth receiver, you're saying, hey, beat our guys one-on-one. We'll let you do that. We're not going to let Tyree Kill beat you. And to go back to our game against the Chiefs in Nashville, we were missing Jarrell Casey, who's been amazing for us on the interior pass rush, getting consistent pressure on the interior. We are missing Jayon Brown, a great coverage linebacker, guy who's probably going to match up with Kelsey a lot, or Damian Williams with how they use him in the short game. And Corey Davis was our second leading receiver. He only had 600 yards. But still, his blocking, his toughness, his ability to find a couple third down catches every game, that was really a game that, going into the stadium, I really doubt we had any chance of winning. And it took a comeback to do so, but we found a way with missing three really good players. Sean, Damian Williams has emerged recently and has been really steady back. That's what they've kind of been missing. He has a lot of talent. He's going to try to have a big impact in this game. I, I can sense that from them. We've done a really good job in the last two weeks of limiting the run game. What do we have to do uh, to, to keep that for a third week? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Damian Williams, he got 12 carries last last week, only 47 yards, but two touchdowns. Um, he had about a four-yard average, and he's a really dangerous guy because he's so fast. I think to limit him, we have to clog up the middle and kind of cut off the outside lanes because he's one of those guys, he's pretty shifty, and he kind of you know takes those outside zone plays and tries to streak up the sideline so I think that's what we have to kind of eliminate the problem with that we essentially open up the middle of the field for a guy like Travis Kelsey who's who scares the living daylights out of me in a game like this we were lucky enough for the last time we played these guys in the playoffs and you know I don't want to say lucky because it's a terrible word to use when somebody gets hurt but Travis Kelsey was injured early in that game from a hit from Jonathan Cyprian and you know he didn't return to the game but he was on pace to have a career day and you know it's kind of what he did last week he had 12 targets 10 catches for 134 yards and three touchdowns so that's what I'm worried about the most like you said they have a bunch of different guys they try to get uh, running out of the backfield Mahomes had seven carries for 53 yards last weekend both Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill had a carry out of the backfield Sammy Watkins for 14 yards Tyreek Hill for four they're kind of like us in a sense. They're, I mean, without Derrick Henry, obviously, but they like to kind of get creative in the backfield. And I think that's also what we have to worry about. So we have to be really aggressive on setting the edge and clogging the middle. And we have to force them to go down the field. I know that's crazy to say because of how fast their guys, their, all of their receivers are. Even last week against a defensive secondary that I consider ours to be better than Houston's. Yeah, easy. Yeah, Tyreek Hill had three catches. Sammy Watkins, two catches. Right. Damian Williams, two catches. Nicole Hardman, two catches. The guy that had the most was Kelsey. Everybody else was pretty limited. and you know. Oh, he stepped up. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think all these guys that I mentioned with minimal catches, they're all those boomer bust players. I mean, we all know, we all play fantasy football, how these guys perform. 
And if you have Ty, you know, the, the old perception was you have Tyreek Hill, you might get 30 points a game. And, you know, lately this season, I, I, I don't, I haven't had him on my, on my roster. I know he was dealing with an injury for a while. I don't think he's been that kind of consistent game threat. And I don't know if he's just seeing coverage on the best corner or he's fast. And I, I would expect us to put a Dory Jackson on him pretty much all game to keep up with him. And I think really, if you kind of press him, not the best at, at catching like 50-50 balls or, or things like that. So he's got a, he's the kind of guy that's going to be a boom player if you let him get 5-10 yards beyond you. So I don't think our defense is going to allow that. How were we able to effectively keep Travis Kelsey from doing what he normally does in games when we played him earlier in the season? And what have you seen from Tyreek Hill that he's uh, he's been more missed than hit? Well, when it comes to Kelsey, obviously I think he's probably the second best tight end in the NFL behind George Kittle. And it's just he's pretty much like a dynamic move tight end. He's almost like a receiver in how he's able to create separation. He's got a big body. He generally has good hands. He had a couple drops on Sunday that helped. He had a couple drops on Sunday that helped Houston jump out to an early lead, but he found his groove. And it's really just he creates just a bit of separation. He's so big. He's so strong. He's just able to outmatch any defender who tries to cover him. Like Jayon Brown. Jayon Brown is... Six feet, I'll be generous to him. Kelsey has five inches, a longer wingspan. He's probably heavier. He's just physically more dominant than Jayon Brown. But what we saw with even Mark Andrews, and Mark Andrews had a good game that I expected him to be better, was we have our coverage linebackers, so Brown, Long, maybe Rashawn Evans. You also bring in a defensive back to cover the other side of the field where Kelsey might go to try and cut off those throws to force tight window throws where yeah, Kelsey gets separation. He takes the inside route, but you've got the safety cheating over to force a higher, more risky throw. That's really what it comes down to because Kelsey, he's injured right now. He has a soft tissue injury, and he was able to fight through it and beat up on Houston's defense, which really looked like a paper tiger at times this season. But Kelsey, like Mark Andrews, is injured. He's not going to be 100%. And he's a guy where you can limit him in some ways and because Tyree Kill and Kelsey are the big two receiving threats, you can kind of cheat off the other lesser threats. Then with Tyree Kill, I agree with John that he's not a big physical guy who's going to outmuscle players, and that's not his game. He doesn't have to. He's the fastest player in the world. And if you can press him, if you can get physical, if you can tie him up, if you can drag him into the muck of press coverage, that's great. The only thing is you miss you miss that initial punch, that initial grab, it's over. He's behind you. You're burnt for a touchdown. And that really just comes down to joint or bracket coverage where the cornerback plays press up until probably 10 yards and then he drops off and lets the overhead defender take over where it's to overwhelm Tyree Kill with a bunch of looks where it's not just, you've got one-on-one coverage, go be fast, just go out, run him, get the touchdown. Guys, it's tough to talk about injuries on Wednesday evening because most of the definitive things are going to happen Uh, between now and kickoff. But we've got some pretty important injuries uh, in some injured players that may or may not play. Biggest one for us is Jayon Brown. John, what what do you think? Do you think we'll see him? And it looks like we'll see Adam Humphreys. What kind of impact can a guy have if he hasn't seen the field in six games? We've had a pretty, uh, right now our injury report is pretty clean. Humphreys and Jayon Brown practiced this week, and that's really, really encouraging. It's really hard for a guy like Humphreys to come back and, you know, having not played with this offense and the time that we've really been gelling and putting up a lot of points and a lot of yards, 
So it's tough for him to kind of fit in there. But Humphreys is a pro's pro. He's been in the meetings. He's taking the mental reps, and he's just you know a student of the game. And I feel that if he's ready, we will definitely use him. Maybe not on every play. Maybe not in every package. It'll be limited use, but he will he will be valuable to us. As we saw with Khalif Raymond last week, he was a guy who was out for two weeks, and you know he made a huge play, arguably one of the bigger of the game, with that huge touchdown pass. So I think Humphreys can do a lot for us. He's definitely another person that the defense has to keep their eyes on, especially across the middle of the field, which we've kind of been missing that threat lately. So I'll be interested to see how healthy he is and if he's able to get on the field, which will be a welcomed addition. Jayon Brown, I think we've missed him a lot, but we've been it's been undershadowed by the incredible play of Rashawn Evans. He has been all over the field and playing like a man possessed. And, you know, I, I would say Kenny Vaccaro, too. He's been really great coming up in for run support when he normally wouldn't have to for Jayon Brown. Kenny Vaccaro has kind of masked that as well. I think if Jayon is healthy, obviously he provides a huge break for our defense because he is incredibly athletic and he can cover pretty much any type of your your slot receiver or running back out of the backfield and you know spy the quarterback if necessary so he'll be really welcomed addition uh, back to this uh, this surging titans team for kansas city their biggest injury question is chris jones uh, defensive tackle really athletic guy good pass rusher from the interior they missed him last week but obviously they were able to win without him it Seems like they're going to have trouble getting him back on the field. I know before the Texans game, they had him dress and go through some pregame stuff, and they just said, no, you're not ready. This team defensively has played a lot better since they played us, really the entire team. And that is attributed to them being better against the run in the last quarter or so of the season. Uh, Chris Jones is not primarily uh, against the rush guy, but he does help that, just his huge frame. And then they've been better on the offensive line because they've gotten some tackles healthy. But for Chris Jones, what's the outlook? What's your gut feeling for him? And how does that affect our ability to win this game? His outlook in terms of his availability for Sunday looks to be in doubt. He didn't practice at all last week, and then he missed the game. He's not expected to practice at all this week, and he's expected to be a game-time decision. And if a guy hasn't played in almost a month, he hasn't practiced in almost a month, and he's dealing with a calf injury, a soft tissue injury, He's also going to be an upcoming unrestricted free agent. All those signs point towards to I wouldn't expect him to play because he's not fully healthy. It's a tricky injury. His future's uncertain. And there's been a bit of tension between him and the and the franchise because they haven't extended him until this coming offseason. So he's obviously going to be looking out in his best interests. And if he's out, that's massive because you could see he was missing on that defensive line when Houston got up big early. He's not the best run defender, but he's a massive man on the interior. He's a great pass rusher. He gets to the quarterback. And even in the run game, if you stick a 6'7 guy in the middle of the field, he's going to clog up some lanes. He's going to bully guys just with his sheer strength and size. You take that away, their defensive line is weakened. Their pass rush is weakened. Our offensive line has a better matchup. Derrick Henry has a better matchup. And things just look a lot better for us overall. All right, fellas, any other injury news of note? Well, the only thing that pops up for us really is Logan Ryan didn't practice today. It was illness-related, no actual injury. You have to think with four days until game time, he's going to be ready. He'll get through it. That's the big reason why he's the only guy that didn't practice for us today. This is the end of the season pretty much because if you win this game, you get two weeks off to rest and recover. You push through it. You fight through the pain. You risk it. You come back at 70% instead of 100 because 
you don't come back this week, that might be it. There all is to the season. Yeah, I agree, Landon. And you know, we talked about this in a couple different podcasts earlier. One thing I really, really, really like and has me really feeling positive about this team is we continue to get healthier at the end of the season. Not many teams ever can say that, but those teams that are able to do that, they're able to build and build and build and continue to have success in the postseason of this very physical game uh, of the NFL. So the fact that we're getting healthier is incredible to me, and and I'm just super excited um, because that just improves our chances to win it all. John, it's going to be really cold in Kansas City on Sunday. It's going to be 25 at best. It's going to be windy. Uh, Wind chill is going to be probably in the teens. I've heard a lot of talk about, well, this is really bad against passing games, and it is. It's harder to pass in the cold, but these guys are professionals, and they play in cold weather uh, most of the back half of the season if they're not in a dome. Uh, How do you think it affects this game? We know that this team is specifically our team, are specifically built to win these type of games in this type of weather. And so it is uh, an advantage to us in a way. But how do you think it affects the game? I know uh, you think it will affect the kicking game. Let's start there. It def- definitely affects the kicking game because, as we all know, when it rains and every th- any type of weather or temperature, it affects the ball and the pressure of the ball and what it feels like to kick the ball. So with uh, I, I was listening to the radio earlier today, and um, they were talking about an interview with Jay Feely, former kicker, um, and he said when the temperature is around in the lower 20s, the ball gets so hard that you can literally take off about seven to eight yards of what your kicking distance normally is. That's a little scary and concerning to me because, you know, we haven't, as of lately, we haven't been able to kick a lot of these kickoffs out of the end zone for touchbacks. That means that our kickoffs will probably fall short and they'll hit somewhere around like, you know, in between the five and 10 yard line. The Chiefs have a very dangerous return game. Now, on the plus side, on the other side of that too, when that ball is kicked in the air, it's going to hit that receiver who's re- who's going to return it like a, a ball of lead. So it's it's not going to be easy to catch, especially on kickoffs, traveling so far in the air and coming down with all that pressure. Um, but it's definitely something to think about. And you know, with that too comes punting and field goals, which it's very hard to to punt the ball when it feels like it's a giant rock. However, Brett Kern has been doing it for so long that I'm sure he's ready for it and used to it. And, you know, before the game, you know, we're playing at 2 o'clock our time, so the weather will be pretty consistent for him to get a bunch of practice kicks. Same thing with field goal kicks. There will be a lot of time to practice and get the wind right and everything. But, you know, the thing with Greg Joseph is he hasn't attempted an actual field goal since he's been with the team. It's all been extra points on which he's been perfect. It adds an extra element of difficulty, so it's some, it's really hard. You know, I'm no kicker by any means, but when I was playing football in college, we'd do warm-ups pregame, and, you know, all the defensive linemen would try to kick field goals, and there's a notice, noticeable difference between kicking a ball in September and kicking a ball in December. It's definitely a lot harder, and it's definitely not going to go as far as you think it is. Landon, we haven't kicked a field goal in a month. Is this going to just... John is saying, is that going to just reduce the likelihood? At some point, we're going to have to kick, right? I think it just makes it so that the line of game we have to reach to kick a field goal is just going to be that much closer to the end zone. So we might see we're at the 35 or the 40, and we're punting because we don't trust our kicker to kick in these conditions. And any kicker in these conditions, it wouldn't be a guarantee. 
And we don't want to go out there early in the game. We don't want to go out there on the first drive, have Greg Joseph kick a 50-yard field goal in this weather, shoot his confidence when we might need him down the line. And it just makes the tactics a lot more interesting because Harrison Butker is one of the better kickers in the league. He's used to the cold weather in Kansas City. He's used to the pressure. He's used to the playoffs. And Greg Joseph is literally the opposite of that. Greg Joseph hasn't attempted, like John said, an actual field goal in the playoffs ever. The pressure is something different. The The crowd on the road is something else we have to consider that he's never really had to deal with in high-intensity situations. John, I, I agree with Landon. I think that Mike Vrabel will be sensitive to that. I don't think he's going to put him in a bad situation in the first three quarters of this game because what if it comes down to they need a field goal? Uh, he's not going to have the misses on these long ones in his mind. I, I That's not something I've really thought about a lot, but I, I really think that could come into play. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, you know, it's always imp- – before here, Greg Joseph wasn't a starting kicker, so he doesn't have – that multi-year resume of being a starting kicker in this league. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to damage his confidence either. So I would rather let him kick extra points as many as he <laughs> – I hope he kicks a 1,000 extra points because that means we're scoring a ton, of, a ton of touchdowns. But, yeah, as far as field goals, we've been successful without them. I, I want him to feel confident when he has to line up for that field goal. And maybe Andy Reid, maybe he'll try to ice him and he'll call a timeout and give him an extra shot at it. So that's what we can hope for as Titans fans because we know how that happened before. Uh, with Ryan Suckup. Obviously, Greg Joseph is not Ryan Suckup, but with the Ryan Suckup we've seen this year, Greg Joseph is pretty good. So um, we'll have to see. But yeah, I kind of like the the thought of uh, Mike Rabel being very aware of this team and his kicker and everybody taking that into account when faced with some difficult situations. Two weeks ago, the Patriots' game plan was to take away the passing game. Uh, They did not load up per se on Derrick Henry. Last week, the Baltimore Ravens loaded up on Derrick Henry. He averaged six yards a carry or more in both games. We all know about the unprecedented run that he's on, which that and very timely passes from Tannehill and catches by our entire receiving core. Uh, absolutely clutch defense, especially on third and fourth down and at the end of games, has led us to where we are. So the question is, how is a Kansas City Chief team that is better against the run but for the season – poor against the run. It's their weakness uh, defensively. What's their approach going to be schematically? How are they going to, who are they going to throw at us? What are they going to try to do, Landon? Six and a half yards on 30 carries to happen. Well, I expect them to play a lot of single coverage on the outside and pretty much just dare Tannehill to throw. And Tannehill has shown for most of the season, one-on-one coverage, he'll throw a tight window throw. A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, John U. Smith, They'll make the tough catch, they'll get the first down. But in the playoffs, that's not the case. He's got, he doesn't even have 160 yards in two games. He hasn't really been tested, even though he's played probably the two best secondaries in the NFL this season. He hasn't really had to do much. Against the Ravens, half his yards came on one throw. He isn't being asked to consistently carry the load on offense. So I expect a lot of eight-man boxes, single coverage on the outside, pretty much to say, we're going to sell out on Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill, you beat us. The Chiefs' front seven... Is probably worse than the Ravens. The Chiefs front seven is probably worse than the Ravens or the Patriots front seven. The Ravens stacked the box, which is eight or more defenders, on 63% of Henry's carries last week. Henry rushed 19 times for 124 yards. That's over six yards a carry when there's eight guys in the box against a better defense with a better secondary. He still had almost 200 yards in that game total. This is the worst defense we'll have played on the AFC side of things, and they're by a good margin the worst run defense we've played so far. Well, one would think that would add up 
to a, a lot of opportunity for our running game, just the way they've been playing. It doesn't always fall out that way, but the opportunity is there. I think there's still people nationally that feels like, you know, our run is up, but they have a lot of weapons and they have played better on defense, but it's our strength against their weakness, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, even just looking at last, you know, the statistics from the game where we played them earlier this season, Derrick Henry had 23 carries for 188 yards and two touchdowns, averaging 8.2 yards per carry. Tannehill even had three carries for 37 yards. So I have a lot of confidence that we'll be able to challenge his defense. And Tannehill was nearly flawless in that game. He was 13 of 19 for 181 yards and two touchdowns. One long, one was to Ferkser and one was to Adam Humphreys. So I guess I'm glad that we're getting Humphreys back this week. And I think we'll see a lot of great things. And, you know, I really think the stars are aligning for us to take take care of business here and really exploit that Kansas City run defense. Landon, we've seen plays from Arthur Smith and the offense that we haven't seen in the regular season, uh, even some stuff that's kind of totally different. Do you expect a lot more originality on Sunday? Actually, I really don't. I expect them to be what the Ravens did all season. They're going to be blunt. They're going to be straightforward with what they're doing. They're pretty much saying, hey, you guys weren't good at guarding what we do best. Prove that you can beat us at that, and then we'll try and switch things up. Right now, right now we're the best running team left. We've got the best running back, maybe the best offensive line in terms of run blocking. We shove it down team's throats, and we don't care. We don't care no matter the situation. It's run Derrick Henry run. He's probably going to finish with over 100 carries in these three playoff games. And he's built for that. He's the only guy on the face of the earth that could average 30-plus carries a game, over 180 yards, and shake it off and come back ready for the next game. Just tell Kansas City, tell their defensive coordinator, hey, stop the run. We'll even, let, we'll even tell you we're running right here. We're going to run jumbo. We're only going to have one receiver, maybe even zero receivers, an extra lineman. We're going to throw all our strength at your biggest weakness, and you have to prove that you can stop it. Why do we have to concede our biggest ability to you just to prove that I'm some offensive genius. You don't have to be cute or fancy or prove how much of a tactics guy you are. Just tell them, hey, you're not good enough to beat us, so we're just going to keep doing this over and over and over. I think it goes without saying we're going to do that, and the goal is going to be 30-plus runs again. But, John, we saw within that concept, we saw some unique plays. Obviously, Derrick Henry uh, in a wildcat with Marriott on the field. I expect to see maybe not like like Landon is saying we're pretty much going to see if they can beat our strength. But beyond that, uh, we've been effective in more or less gadget plays and really unique play calling. Number one, do you expect more of that? Number two, I had a dream this week that Marcus Mariota threw a long touchdown in this game. I don't know what that means. We I know that we always talk about him and what his role might be. He has been on the field recently. Do you expect to see him Sunday? I am so glad you asked me that question because, yes, I believe it. I think we're going to get really creative. We're going to do a lot of different things on the offensive side of the football. And like you mentioned, we had Marcus in there on on Derrick Henry's Tebow jump pass, and I expect to see more of the same kind of things. I really love – number one, I love your dream of of Marcus throwing a touchdown. I mean, like the entire state of Tennessee would hear me celebrate that one. But I, I I think it's a realistic thing. In every in Marcus's last game as a starter against the Chiefs, he sold out. He was running. He was blocking for Derrick Henry. You know, he threw a touchdown pass to himself. He was going to win that game, regardless. Nobody was stopping him. Um, 
So I really expect more of the same. And Marcus has been so professional about this whole demotion and, you know, elevation of Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I, I really can't talk enough about Marcus being an incredible human being and an incredible athlete. Uh, I would love to see him break off a big, huge run, um, you know, in some weird formation where he and Tannehill and Derrick Henry are all lined up in the backfield in some formation. Uh, that would just be incredible to me. But yeah, I, I think what we can expect to see, obviously, running the ball. And I think once we have established that run, like we will, then I think, like Landon said, we're going to get a little bit more creative after we've shoved it down their throats and, you know, established our dominance in what we're going to do. Then we're going to get a little exotic and creative. Big fella, a lot is made about coaches, and obviously they don't play. But Andy Reid uh, has just a, a great track record as a, as a coach in the regular season. People discount that only one team can win the whole thing. And he's been on, he's coached some really good teams and developed some really great offenses. It does seem like he is one of those guys that uh, the unlikely can happen. And he has maybe has had a, a bad track record in, in the biggest games. Well, I don't think anybody's going to argue. Andy Reid is an incredible coach. We've seen him do incredible things in Philadelphia. Uh, we've seen him literally come into to Kansas City and kind of spin up that franchise without all, with what and he makes it look effortless. And you know he's done a lot of great things, but the question still remains: Can he win the big game? And so far, it's no. He he's been to the Super Bowl with the Eagles, and he couldn't bring it home. And his record against the Titans is very poor. It's one and eight. So it just seems like the stars are aligning and we have Andy Reid's number. Now, I don't ever like to call that out too much because then that's when things happen and, you know, that record gets evened out to two and eight and it's arguably one of the biggest games we've ever played in. Um, but yeah, Andy Reid, I think there's a little bit of psyche that goes on when you're a coach and preparing and, you know, he doesn't want to address it. We don't want to address it, but we all know that it's a real thing. And Andy Reid has a terrible record when he plays the Titans, whether it was with the Eagles or the Chiefs. Hopefully, history continues. What are your keys to this game for the Titans winning this game, Landon? The biggest thing, just like last week, is get at least two turnovers prefer, and at least one in the red zone because those are big momentum shifts. This team thrives off momentum shifts. It loves when things are going so well for the opponent. You temporarily take them out of the game. You stab them through the arm, and then you go down the field, take what could have been seven points for them, turn it into seven points for us, a 14-point swing. And that's really just how we won that Baltimore game. It's 0-0. They're driving into the red zone. They throw an interception. We take it all the way back to the 30-yard line. Then we get a touchdown. It's big momentum plays that really fed us this entire playoff run. And Mahomes likes to test defenses. He likes to go for it all. And that's partially why he's so amazing and he, set to break all these records he's brett Favre. if brett Favre had a better spatial awareness of when to not throw a stupid pass he's gonna test us he's gonna test our second he's gonna say yeah you guys are pretty good but i have the fastest receiving core on the planet try and keep up and if you can even get one or two mistakes out of patrick mahomes that's one or two times they can't score that's one or two times we can grind out the clock we can establish the run game we can even just get a couple points and try and keep things close into the fourth quarter. I mean, I think it's obvious when we're playing the Chiefs, but you know, what do we have to look for? If it doesn't work out in this game, what's it going to be? All right, so if things don't work out, if Sunday is 
the worst day of Titans fandom in a long time. It'll be because all of what I just said doesn't happen. The defense doesn't show up. It's played great. It's given up 12.5 points to New England, who's not that good of an offense. And they gave up 12 to Baltimore, who is the best offense. So even if you can just give up 24-25, I'm confident our offense can score enough to be competing. But they're giving up mid to high 30s, even the 40s. I don't know if our offense can keep up with how we played in the playoffs so far. And it really just comes down to it's a shootout. It's a race we can't keep up in. But at the same time, our defense has played so great down the stretch. The first time we played them, no Casey, no John Brown. It was our first game without Malcolm Butler. So LaShawn Sims, who's now our four-string cornerback, had to start and he was getting burnt and picked on all game. Tremaine Brock, a great veteran presence. He knows what it takes to win. He's played great these playoffs. He's been a great number three cornerback, and I expect him to play much better than Sims did. Our secondary has elevated their game a lot since Mahomes torched us back way back in the middle of the season. You make a really good point about uh, I really like Sims uh, for the depth that, that he's given, but uh, Brock has played better down the stretch, and so I expect us from that standpoint on the field to, to play better because Brock has just been uh, just absolutely a revelation in the last month. We've needed him so much because Malcolm Butler uh, has been our big major season-long injury besides – the, the kicking game issues and uh if it wasn't for Brock uh, we would be uh in a lot we'd be in a lot more trouble because Butler is was a significant loss for me the key to victory is what it has been the last two weeks yes we've had an excellent run game and that's what's taken for us to be in these games and our defense I, sometimes I think we take for granted because Derrick Henry's run is so easy to talk about I'm not talking about us on this podcast but just it's easy for the average football fan to just look at what Henry's done but our defense and these stops on fourth down, what if we didn't get that fourth down? Where Lamar Jackson just inexplicably just, just ran between the tackles. What if we didn't get that? I mean, it, the game could be different. Um, for us, our defense is going to have to continue to be absolutely clutch. But at the end of the day, we have to score points, and I've said this a bunch. Uh, and we're going to hear Ryan Tannehill is not that. Okay, guys, we have to get past counting stats. Yes, He's thrown 14, 18 times in a game. That's by design. The quality of those and the importance of when he does throw. Uh, he has to throw when he's not in a rhythm. He cannot, you know, we, he came pretty close uh, one time last week. That could be the difference, obviously, in these games. I, just, I do think this game is going to be super close. Uh, for me, uh, the key to the game is Tannehill and the rest of our offense limiting mistakes and turnovers. When it's third and long, and it's not a lot, or when it's fourth and two, he's going to have to be the man that he's been. And just the gutty run for a touchdown, for instance, and just all the impressive uh, stuff that he's done beyond stats. I think the key to the game is Ryan Tannehill. All right, guys, let's talk prediction. What are you feeling, Landon? Landon, you better pick the Chiefs because it worked out the last two weeks. <laughs> All right, now that you've referenced and made note of my reverse jinx, now it's not going to happen, so I'm blaming you because I'm still picking the Chiefs here. I'm going to say 34-29, Chiefs win, and it's going to be really close. It's going to come down to the final possession. I don't know if they score at the very end or we fail to score at the very end, but it's going to be a close game, closer than what Vegas thinks. I think the Chiefs are just a bit more explosive on offense and we won't be able to keep up all the way. All right, I'm going to say 31-28 Titans. It's going to be low scoring until it isn't, and it's going to be an absolute classic. 
and I am super excited. And I feel like we are going to win this game. I'm going to be nervous on Sunday, and uh, I was so nervous. And honestly, I felt good that week until that day. We wound up winning. I'm ready for a magical day. I'm ready to think Super Bowl for two weeks. We're so close. This is a team I'm super proud of, too. Uh, it's just been absolutely just to this point a run, and I'm letting myself think about just this could be one of those in my lifetime, uh, just a dream season, big fella, 31-28. As long as it's a W, it'll be great. Personally, I think it's going, you know, like you guys, it's going to be a close game. I like to think that we're going to win by a little bit more, so I'm going to go 35-28, Nashville invades Miami in three weeks. The return of Tannehill. And who knows, maybe Marcus visiting his next home. You never know. I think that's what gets us there. To say we're excited is an understatement. Uh, there is a public viewing. Uh, it's going to be where they usually do the public viewings for the Preds games and the playoffs, guys. It's going to be about 35 degrees probably, about game time here. Uh, big fella, you think there will be a big turnout for that down there? And uh, <laughs> we just want to mention that and encourage our uh, – folks listening that uh, there will be a place to watch this they're gonna have two screens up one by second and Broadway one by first so we all know Nashville knows how to throw a party and right now that forecast like you said it's it's in the high 30s right now it says 39 and sunny so couldn't ask for better weather it's perfect football weather everybody come out support this team turn this city blue like I know we all can well, guys, that's going to be it. Just gotten kind of nervous and excited, although we're days away. We're going to be back with you, and, of course, we'll give you a reaction. I'm just really excited, guys. We could be punching our ticket to our next Super Bowl, and things have just, at this point, just a dream season. We appreciate you guys, Landon and John, and as always, guys, tighten up. Tighten up. Tighten up.